there, Richard Rose speaking. Welcome to another podcast. The song you've just heard is Running Wild, as rendered by the great Duke Ellington Band on the 1930 recording. It's the theme song of my podcast, Running Wild with Richard. As an award-winning author, I've let my imagination run wild to create the plots of my short stories, novels, and screenplays. And if you have some goal you want to achieve, well, heck, give it a try, and I'll bet you can get the job done. My special guest today is Barb Bailey, a lady with many careers as a writer, producer, singer, and booking agent. Welcome to our second interview podcast, Barb. Thank you, Dick. It's so great to be here and an honor. Thank you. Well, you're certainly welcome. I'm looking forward to this one. Okay, let's get started. As a booking agent for performers, I know you spent many years in Hollywood before moving your company to Chicago, where you also launched your own career as a singer. In fact, it, it was at one of your concerts my beautiful wife Kay and I attended about the time you spent in Hollywood that, that gave me the idea for the theme of this podcast. Would you like to hear it? Yes, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> so I won't keep you in a... In suspense, <laughs> well, most people are familiar with Alice in Wonderland, so I call this interview Barbie in Movie Land. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Thank you, Dick. Oh. At that concert, you related some of your hilarious stories about your adventures in Movie Land that you can now share with my podcast audience. Let's begin by telling us how, how you supported yourself there. Well, for eight years, um, I was the music agent for Dick Marks Music, and we had the entire second floor of Sunset Sound Recording Studio in Hollywood. And you know, Dick, um, I also wanted to do something of my own, and I opened a lingerie boutique. Can you believe it? <laughs> like I didn't have enough on my plate already. Yeah. I called it Barbers on the Boulevard on Ventura Boulevard. And um, I did all the buying for it, and it was so much fun. And this was sort of the time when bustiers became the big trend in Hollywood. And back then, it was sort of like wearing your underwear on the outside, if you will. I mean, everybody thought it was really kind of bizarre. Underwear on the outside? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, now we think nothing of wearing our underwear on the outside, right? Well, back I, then. I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, even back then, they thought it was bizarre. But it was all the, the trend. And so they were only coming in pink and white and blue and nude, and that was pretty boring. Nude yeah, was boring. Right. <laughs> so you know what I did? I went to Hollywood, and I found the most beautiful, tall, gorgeous Norwegian seamstress and hired her. And her name was Alex. And Alex embellished all of these beautiful bustiers that I purchased with, like, you know, rhinestones and pearls and lace and just made them one of a kind and gorgeous. And we couldn't keep them on the shelves. They were terrific. <laughs> and so one day, after I wrapped pretty early at Sunset Sound, I decided to drive over the canyon and see what my ring was for that day. And so I walked into my office and there on my desk was a book called You'll Never Make Love in This Town Again, okay? <laughs> You'll Never Make Love in This Town Again. I thought, what the heck is this? So I came to find out that it was a tell-all story written by three very expensive, high-class call girls. 
And I looked a little bit deeper into this, and you know, this was the era of Heidi Fleiss. Do you remember hearing about Heidi Fleiss? I kind of do, yes. She was the famous Hollywood madam. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Back in the day with all the telltale, you know, everybody who was screwing around on everybody. <laughs> Those were her clients. Well, guess what? That's what this book was all about, too. It was all about who was screwing around with whom. And these three high, very expensive, high-class call girls were naming names and places, and it was all the rage, you can imagine. <laughs> well, I don't know if these three high-priced call girls, any of them worked for Heidi Fleiss, but I do know that one of them worked for me. <laughs> no. Yep, that no, was Alex. Me. Alex, Alex oh was God. one of the three very expensive high-class <laughs> call girls. My Alex, my seamstress, my bustier seamstress, was working, you know, as a high-class call girl on the side. And so I figured out that's why all these bustiers kept flying off the shelves, because she was selling them to all the girls that worked with her at night. Oh, my. And somebody asked me, well, Barb, did you fire her? When you found out, what do you think I did? What do you think I did? I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't fire her. I mean, I don't care what somebody does at night with their life, right? Yeah, she right. was bringing in a lot of money for me. <laughs> and so anyway, she stayed with me and, and you know, I kind of liked her even more. It made her more interesting. <laughs> I bet it did. <laughs> I remember from your concert that for a while at least, you actually lived in a mansion while you were there. How in the world did that happen? Well, you know, that's Hollywood, right? Oh, yeah. Um, what happened was I was living in a coach house. I was renting a coach house off the pool of this fairly huge mansion, two doors down from Perrin Hilton's grandfather, Baron Hilton. So you could imagine how extensive it was and fabulous. And the owner of the mansion, Douglas Campbell, was a very, very popular investor of blockbuster movies. And his he also had these, these parties that were to die for. He had a guilty pleasure, Dick, about he would have parties and he would only invite people who were at war with each other that week <laughs> or who hated each other. You know, because somebody was dating somebody else's boyfriend or husband on the side or somebody just got a movie role that they wanted or somebody stole somebody's agent, somebody stole somebody's dog. I mean, it didn't matter. They, were, they hated each other yeah, yeah, that yeah. week. Oh, and because he was in the movie biz, he uh, knew all about who was who was hating each other that week. And so they would they would pull up to the mansion in these, you know, limousines, Rolls Royces, you name it, they'd get out, they'd go to happy hour, and they'd see that person that they couldn't stand that week. And they would separate. One would go in the east wing, one would go over there in the west wing, and they would have their happy hour. But when it was time to go to dinner, everybody had to go into the dining room together. And the dining table sat, get this, 80 people. <laughs> and they couldn't sit wherever they wanted to sit. Mm -mm. They had to sit where their name tags were at the place, at the placemats. And so if you hated somebody or at war with somebody, you um, either had to sit next to them or across from them. Can you imagine this? Oh, God. You've never heard, can you imagine 80 people who hate each other at one dinner table? 
it was like World War III. You've never heard so much screaming, uh, people getting up, people throwing wine over each other, calling each other names. I've never even heard of some of these names. God, it sounds like a Three Stooges comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was incredible. Like, wait till you hear the end, but I haven't. So, you know, I went to about 40 of these. And one of my favorites, you know, I got to know some of the celebrities as a result of being at this party, of course, and I even did some business as a result, but I became friendly with Farrah Fawcett and loved her dearly, and I was sitting to her right, and Ryan O'Neill was across from her, and next to Orion, across from me, was Jay Bernstein, Farrah's personal manager, and he was a good friend of mine, too. And Ryan and Farrah were ganging up on Jay because Jay insisted that she should do this movie that she would star in, but she didn't want to do it, Dick. And they found a hundred reasons that they threw at him of why they weren't going to do this movie. And he would toss a hundred reasons back at why she should do this movie. And this went on for hours, okay? And a lot of that's proprietary, so I can't tell you what the reasons were. But she actually got up, and she started to leave. And, and you know, she usually got her way. She was very smart, by the way. And Jay knew he didn't want to lose her in Charlie's Angels and the Burning Bed and some of these other things that he was making a fortune on her with. And so she won. She absolutely won. And so this is what happened at the end of all these parties. People were so inebriated from drinking for seven and eight hours. They would get up and instead of, you know, throwing insults at each other, which they'd been doing all night long, it was kissy, kissy. <laughs> Let's do lunch. They made up. Love you, babe. <laughs> Until the you next know, day, maybe. <laughs> yeah, have your people call my people okay. every single time. It was a riot. I bet it was. <laughs> I'm sure you were much in demand for dates, Barb. Is, is there anyone in particular who was special? Oh, yeah. One comes to mind immediately. <laughs> um, that's Hugh O'Brien. Do you remember Wyatt Earp? Oh, sure. The TV. Oh, sure. On TV and, on, and the movies as well. Sure. Oh, God, yeah. Well, I met him at Hefner's. At a party. Hefner, Hugh Hefner? Hugh. Oh, Hugh, okay. The one and only. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we really fell for each other kind of right away. And we were dating. I actually dated him a couple of years. And um, Mom came into town. Daddy had already passed. Daddy would have loved Hugh, too. But Mom met him, and, and he treated her beautifully. And she was really hoping that we would end up together. And so was I. <laughs> but you know what happened? Do you want to know? Yeah. This is really interesting for Hollywood. In his senior year in high school, Hugh had fallen in love with somebody, and they had planned to get married, and they were so much in love, and she was in a fatal accident her senior year after graduation. And on her deathbed, Dick, he promised her that he would never get married, that he would stay true to her forever oh, and that's ever. That's a very tragic story. It yeah. really is. Oh, and gosh. so, you know, that's really something for somebody like Hugh O'Brien in Hollywood to stay right. that true to somebody because, yeah. Dick, he could have had anybody. They could have made a movie out of it. Even me. <laughs> <laughs> Even you. Even me. Okay. Aside from Wyatt Earp, <laughs> 
<laughs> who were some of the other stars you met when you were there? Oh, boy, there's so many. You know, I was in the music business for all those years, so I met so many people in the music business, but there's somebody that really stands out in my mind, and you'll understand why in a minute, and that's Burt Reynolds. Oh, Burt Reynolds, sure. Oh, my God. Um, I was dating Jimmy Lewis, who was one of Burt's um, stand-ins and, and stunt doubles, and he invited me to the rap party for Evening Shade. Do you remember Evening Shade on NBC television? And that was a series that was starring Burt Reynolds. And they had a rap party, and I, I couldn't wait to meet Burt, you know. I'd always been a huge fan. What girl isn't? And he finally came over, and I was introduced to him, and he stood there, and he talked to us for a while. And then he left, and we, we went over there with Lonnie, and I figured I'd never hear it from him again. And about two hours later, he's angling over towards us, and my heart's going thump, 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 thump. I think he's coming over to talk to us again. He puts his face this close to mine, his nose almost touching mine. He said, Barbara, something has been bothering me. He didn't say bothering, but I can't say that word here. All night long. And I said, well, what, Bert? And he said, do you know who you look like? And I said, no, who do I look like? And he said, you are the spitting image of two women I'm in love with. He used the word love, Dick. And now my heart's going boom, yeah, boom, right, boom, right. boom, boom. <laughs> I said, well, who? And he said, one is Lonnie Anderson, my wife, who's standing over there watching every move I make. <laughs> and can you guess the other one? No. But <laughs> Sally Fields. Sally Fields. Sally Field and Lonnie Anderson. That was a moment. That's why I bring him up because, you know, to be that, and we became friends later, but to, to be that impressed at the very moment by him and to hear him say that he was in love with these two women, wow, I mean, that was just such an honor, Lonnie Anderson and Sally Field, and I always loved both of them. Yeah, and to share that with you, and it's I know, just like that. To, to that time, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. he had eyes that sparkled. I've never seen eyes like that before. They just danced. He really had something. No wonder all the girls fell in love with him. <laughs> but he was very, very true to Lonnie while they were married. And he would have loved to have married Sally. I, I learned that later, but it didn't happen. How about some others that you can remember? I mean, you know, music-wise, I, I met everybody from Michael Jan Jackson to Prince and, mm -hmm. and so many people in between. We worked a lot with uh, Dick Clark, so you can oh, imagine sure, yeah. Dick Clark um, Productions, because yeah, right. we did a lot of work with, with Dick and met a lot of those people, too. But I believe once you mentioned uh, in one of your concerts something about Zsa Zsa Gabor. Oh, God. <laughs> What about that? What about oh, yeah. Zsa, Zsa actually was at one of those parties that oh. I told you about. She and Ava came to that party. And Zsa, Zsa came with her ninth husband. Nice. And that was the prince. Yeah. Do you oh, remember? My God. Nine husbands? Yeah, nine. <laughs> and and she and, and Ava were sit, sitting across from each other. And Ava was dating Merv Griffin. And I was sitting next to Zsa, Zsa on her left, and on Zsa's right was the prince. 
her husband. And it was interesting because Jaja was dressed in this very, very telling, too short dress. It looked like a, a yellow slip, and she wasn't, I swear, she couldn't have been wearing any underwear. She should have been wearing pantyhose, okay, for sure, because everything jiggled when she walked, and I shouldn't say that, but, you know, you can cut that out if you want. And she was very nice, and Ava was very pr prim and proper. But right away, Jaja cut right into Ava and said, Ava, I know you stole that beauty cream from my beauty from my beauty line and you never left me the five dollars and 98 cents that you oh, no. owe me yeah and she thought that you know you thought i wouldn't notice ava and so ava said darling you know that i know that you've been borrowing all of my wigs from my wig line and do you think i've ever said anything to you about it oh, and she said listen ava how do you think i felt when that when that that policeman pulled me over in my $125,000 Rolls Royce, Royce Royce and gave me a ticket. And, and she said, and then I had to spend that week in jail because I slapped him? Well, didn't he know who I was? And you worry about your wigs? I mean, this is, you know, it just oh, went on and on and on. It was hilarious. But, it was. but these were the kinds of things that I yeah. heard. I went to 40 of those. Oh, Dad. my God, yeah. Yeah, for real. Getting back to your career as a singer, I asked you to provide one of your favorite songs that you sang at one of your concerts you could share with my podcast audience. Which one did you choose? Well, Dick, one of my most favorite songs of all, and it's usually one of my encores, is My Way. And I know a lot of people expect that to be sung by a guy such as Frank Sinatra, but... The reason I brought that up today is because it's on my mind. I'm going on a West Coast tour. Wow, really? <laughs> I'm so excited. It's May 1 through May 12, and my first stop is a vibrato, which is Herb Albert's room uh, in Beverly Hills. And the title of the show is an all-American um, salute to Frank Sinatra. And my, <laughs> my encore, again, is going to be my way. And I sing that song quite, quite frequently, actually, as an encore. Hey, that's a great choice, Barb. I Did It My Way was probably Paul Anka's biggest hit of his many, the many he composed. So, let's hear it. Now, the end is near, so I face the final curtain My friends I'll say it clear I'll state my case of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's long I've traveled each and every highway and much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets, I had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do, I saw it through 
song justice by singing it your way but you did it your way as well to achieve the successes with your your many careers including ladies lingerie oh <laughs> you're right about that <laughs> i did it my way do you have a website people can go to to find out when and where your concerts will take place sure sure i do it is very simple dick it's www.barbbaileyentertainment com. Well, thank you so much for doing the interview, Barb. It, it was a lot of fun. Yes, I loved it. I'd love to do it again. Well, we'll, we'll definitely do okay. that. Okay. All for now, and for my blogs and podcasts, remember to visit my website at www.richardroseauthor.com. Have a great day. And remember to let your imagination run wild!